Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is being recorded slightly differently. We're now recording more of the Biota Lives via Skype. If you heard the change in audio quality in the recent conversation with Tim Taylor, it was because uh, he had some talk shoe problems, but I, I have with me today Eric Burton. Hello, Eric. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. And I wanted to bring you on to just get a, an update of what's going on with, uh, with Critter Drug currently. I understand that you have like an alternative visual model, a telepathic model that you're working with. Can you can you give some description to the telepathic model and how you interfaced it into the the previous version of Critter Truck? Yeah, that's correct. Well, we we're supposed to have some kind of morphic fields, were at least embedded in biochemical signaling systems on Earth. So I wanted to give them some kind of a shared matrix they would all affect it. Uh, sprung out of wanting these animals to feel guiltier about eating each other, really, because that changed their society, but this didn't seem to matter. They just evolve into sort of society-neutral, uh, society-agnostic forms, or uh, sort of communistic. They would eat each other as almost a matter of altruism, and uh, the critter drug have made that take longer. It takes more bites, and then if each of them are inputting, I thought, onto a canvas that they can also see, and then something else would be would disappear from their stimuli than just the visual signal of the critter, which could also disappear if they turned or retreated. And this idea of morphic resonances, Rupert Sheldrake, is, is there another theorist that you were running with with regards to a similar view of morphic resonance, or was it purely from Sheldrake? I thought Rupert Sheldrake was right about morphic resonance. Uh, rather than the grid is 64 by 48, and then it's extended through time. There's 1,024 copies of it, and this allows them to stripe left and right, and they can also blur it up and down, which lets them see objects moving on the canvas so that they can comprehend that it's a space and that these cells are adjacent to one another. Like on the retina, they should be able to in time. What I did was they can evolve to have motors on there where they can set colors, strong colors, bright ones, or, and read them back with sensors. They can also evolve connections to on there, uh, any of the 64 by 48 by 3 uh, areas. Then I automatically apply their neuron potentials to small color changes that are uh, set on a pattern. Reds and a red into the brain as warmer is, is something I just put in. So in a simulation perspective, I just want to I just want to move back to this idea of morphic resonance as a model because certainly my understanding of Sheldrake is that it's almost a notion of a kind of one interaction. And what you're describing here is a kind of blurring of colors, which I guess creates the, what, the morphic resonance field. So is it a case that all the, all the individual critters can then tap into to that, irrespective of where they're located in the particular simulation space? Yeah, they read back, and all the species would be mixed together if there was more than one. What they do is there are six different channels, and I expect them to kind of communicate through them on a in a circular fashion, because each channel can only speak to one or two others directly. Um, and that's through setting small color changes that will affect the firing rate of neurons in other critters' brains. Not every neuron, but uh, about a third of them per critter, automatically. And then they can clear this by voting for a, uh, an animation that clears the screen. They can keep the morphic field dark, or they can write over it using their motors if they get any in the morphic field. Making it so that if they write red with a motor, or, or uh, if they have a screen there that is mostly red, the morphics are mostly additive. They have one that's mostly blue, they're mostly subtractive. Was uh, So there'd be some link between the color channels on the psychic screen and the retina, which there isn't right now. I mean, I'm not even sure how they'll understand that all three color channels are uh, overlaid and show the same thing, except that the same objects should appear on all three. That's an interesting problem. So you've got neural networks behind that are then interpreting the 
kind of physical constraints, or not the physical constraints, but the morphic constraints that you're applying to the simulation and then requiring the critters to to reinterpret that into their own being, so to speak. You, you mentioned uh, altruism with regards to the way that they kind of consume each other. How do you think the morphic fields will affect the altruism specifically? It's, it's hard to say what it's done. Like, they don't eat each other now. They'll spend, uh, they socialize more is what I've witnessed. They spend, uh, when they uh, come close to a collision, they might sit and watch one another. But could that be just interpretive confusion? I mean, what you're giving them is... Uh, kind of additional channels of sense data that they then have to kind of understand and what you're providing even in that interaction is probably additional noise to the morphic uh, the morphic domain, so to speak. Yeah, it's really sick, and they need a population of about a dozen, but, I mean, I had to put in a feature to export the movie they're writing. Like, it didn't always benefit them clearing it to black when I restarted. I had to actually write this thing out and reload it when I would restart my simulation or their uh, behavior would really suffer. Certainly. You know, we have, this, uh, we have the same problem with Noble Ape. I mean, it's exactly what you're describing in, in that regard. So, no, this is fascinating. So I, I don't know how long it's been since you last appeared on a, on a Biota Live, but, um, I mean, in terms of the past kind of year's worth of crititing, critter drug, all these kind of developments, I continue to watch uh, SEA's YouTube channel, the Automata YouTube channel, which shows his own exploration through uh, Critter Ding, I think, specifically. There was also Critter Dog. Can you describe a little bit, kind of stepping back from your current work, what's going on with the with the Critter Ding community currently? Well, yeah, after I set up Critter Drug with these changes, Seth thought it would be good to have them, uh, that it would promote self-reflection and... Uh, and sort of automatic variable tuning, sort of meta-variable tuning. If we could have these critters writing back to environmental and physics parameters and uh, reading data about their world and about their populations, they could have access to the same kinds of graphs and tools we would use to uh, to analyze and to uh, configure their world. And then in this way, they could evolve to use uh, all of this adaptively. You know, and you could end up with uh, creatures whose intelligence bordered on that of uh, engineering intelligence. It's just fascinating. I mean, the the notion that what you're doing is, in fact, creating a simulation space in order to expand on, I mean, in the case of uh, Rupert Sheldrake's work, what is still considered, well, even beyond perhaps the fringes of science and creating active, testable simulation environments to to put these ideas out there. I guess the, the feedback would be that the more firm data, or at least the more explorative data, would contribute to this. Have you actually reached out to Rupert Sheldrake or any of his uh, any of his contemporaries about using these kind of simulations to actually test the ideas of morphic resonance? No, not yet, actually. And uh, I'd started to feel that what I had here was a partial implementation, <laughs> that I had to take the contents of the morphic fields and use them to shape the bodies somehow. But I realized the contents of the morphic fields do limit the... Uh, brain designs that are adaptive to a subset that can deal with the contents of the morphic field at a given time. That also limits the subset of adaptive bodies to the ones that can be driven adaptively by the subset of adaptive brains defined by the morphic. So it really is actually uh, at least limiting the subset of adaptive brains and bodies, although it isn't, uh, that won't necessarily home in on adaptive ones. Uh, In fact, it might eliminate possible adaptive ones. I'm not sure what that implies. Yeah. And in terms of feedback into actual critting, I mean, you're, you're developing off quite a well-defined branch now. 
Are you contributing back into crediting some of these things or at least giving feedback that you need perhaps uh, more adaptive brains or perhaps some way to um, grow perhaps the brain chemistry to a far greater extent in order to understand this, this new morphic domain that you're introducing? Well, I tried to get some of these features into crediting, at least with flags or something, and uh, the author, Bob Winkleman, didn't want them when they were immature at the start of the year. Uh, I would like to play catch-up with crediting now. He has a lot of new features that I think are important, but uh, he's changed the brains. He took out dendrites, and I don't know what he's replaced them with. What they seem to do is provide a multiplicative value to a, a synaptic weight or the value of an input, and that results, I think, in timely... Uh, timely conversion of input weights to firing rates. At one point I thought it was uh, sufficient to have a potential on a neuron, or uh, at least one neuron, which represented the value of an input. And then I realized that what was probably producing or representing qualia about the brightness of an input was uh, the firing rates of the neurons connected to it, not their potential, which wasn't really, which isn't propagated unless the neuron fires. So, uh, I put in an option to only animate the screen every so often if you want to make sure it holds still long enough to, to do that. But with dendrites in there, I feel that a full bright pixel should be able to fire a, a neuron five times in uh, five frames, and then a half bright neuron uh, two and a half times in five frames. And five frames is not long. You should be able to animate it every frame if you want. I don't know why dendrites have been removed. It's something I have to uh, find out, but I won't be able to use the new brains, which is sad because he's going somewhere with those. You, you mentioned qualia, which is a, a philosophical concept. I can't think of the uh, primary philosopher, but is that actually a concept in crediting, or is that something that you add to, to your own use of the simulation? Well, that's something I started to think about. I've been uh, I've been thinking and writing a bit about uh, consciousness in machines and where it would appear. Timothy Leary thought that consciousness begins with the uh, oral biosurvival circuit at, at uh, nursing and homing for food and uh, seeking to avoid waste which we have in machines. I mean, we've had that in artificial life simulators for a long time. That's theoretically a primordial consciousness, which means uh, you have to think about um, whether or not it's experiencing. That's what led me to consider uh, whether what I was doing was leading to the production of qualia in this system, which is a, a pretty empirical question, I think. Certainly. I guess the difficulty is because it's... Uh well, it's kind of philosophically empirical, but it may not be computer science empirical until you actually define what what qualia means in a in a kind of quantitative metric within a neural network or something of, of that nature. And I think that's probably the interesting problem that could be solved through what you're discussing currently. Like these things might have uh, these things each lives each might have a little gateway in the bardo that looks like a rendered geometric polyhedron and. Uh, one of them that seeks food really effectively has a baby stage where it just thrashes around for an arbitrary span of time until it reaches adulthood and uh, starts to strive for food. It can take a minute or two. I figure this is their uh, spirit acquisition stage, which is kind of a, a funny way of looking at it. I, uh, I put in five types of drugs in order to try to foster self-awareness, religious feeling, and uh, that kind of thing, uh, specialized states of mind. They can access these. It's uh, the only way to match the color channels, and that was the fact that the stimulants are red and the depressants are blue, but I want to show them the psychic canvas on an in-world TV or uh, on the sky or a wall. So in terms, of the, in terms of the kind of psychotropics, I think we may have had this discussion in a previous Violet Love, I'm not sure, but what kind of psychotropics are you working with currently, and have you either expanded or reduced the number of psychotropics that exist within Critadrug? Yeah, there's still five. I was going to add another four that tamper the plasticity, the plasticity functions. That's something I think uh, 
critting stuff. I think I can import creatures from critting just by setting all the dendrite values to one. But I won't be able to put mine in it. At any rate, it works really well. Like I, I expected, if I put in something that increased neuron potentials, it would act like a stimulant and a, or and a psychedelic combination of stimulant and psychedelic. Those are both agonists of various systems in the brain, like excitatory systems. They have one excitatory system, so I thought if I agonized that, it would be like a stimulant and a psychedelic. In high doses, it functions like a psychedelic. At low to middle doses, it functions like a stimulant. They can actually get a survival advantage by taking most species. And critter drug can get a survival boost unless the population increases and drops some stimulants into the population, which is funny. And they should learn to hone for those. And at the same time, they have to learn to deal with the rate of mental change that occurs and uh, potential hallucinations and... Uh, how long the drug lasts, and uh, I thought this would make the world a lot richer and give them something more interesting to deal with just than uh, socializing and the presence of food. Are there any downsides in terms of like energy sapping or various other things that are, are downsides of overconsumption? Well, your firing rate can be expensive, so you can pay a lot for brain activity in terms of food on drugs. One change I made from critterding was I thought I could automatically reinforce food-finding behavior by uh, providing stimulation based on their energy level. So if their energy is at max, they all get something like a 1% uh, increase, 0.01 increase in neural potential every frame, and it's half that if their energy is half of max. And it just means that if they're in a behavior that happens to find and eat food, then that behavior might speed up or uh, come about more often. And uh, something they can something they can live with. So uh, something they can live with and evolve with. I mean, having that in from the first frame, I thought, was a really important change because... Uh, it means that finding food actually feels good to them. They don't just have to watch this 10-frame energy bar as it uh, increases and decreases. And with the biases I've added, they have a lot of connections to that now, but they really have to figure out what it's about. And I think seeing it increase and decrease in the presence of a uh, slowing and speeding up of the whole system based on their energy level is actually more sensitive than the food bar where one of the, the last podcasts we made floating points still. In terms of your current work and potentially reintegrating it back into the kind of crittering trunk is this something where you just need to almost kind of componentalize the parts that you're working on or has basically the the main development of critiquing moved in such a dramatic direction that it would be impossible now to reintegrate even even a small number of your changes back into the the active trunk no i should very much be able to take a lot of what i've done put it into critiquing some of it is very general like the changes to eating and the ability to blink now they close the eye if they want. I thought they could use it for sleep, and things like this might make it into critterding. I would like to see a switch that you can put into drug tablets and have that effect in there. Um, I don't know about all the all the psychic uh, all the psychic stuff adds a lot of checks. In the synapse and neuron code where you don't really want them, just checking for flags or uh, environment variables or whatever CVAR as we call them would be slow there, but uh, I would like to see some of this back in critterding at some point. It's been slash dotted twice this year, and I've had five or six gigs in downloads, five meg applications, that probably represents 10,000 downloads, which is uh, really good. And what platforms is it currently available for? The second slash dotting is after I added the bias, it's getting a species much easier now. It's only for Linux. If I had a development box for Windows, I think I'd compile it for that the same way, uh, same way Bob Winkleman does. I don't know how yet. Okay. So in terms of the actual kind of broader critterding community, I think when we had uh, when we had Seth on, it was probably around 14 to 20 um, occasional developers with maybe three or four active developers. How big do you think the community is currently? 
go to irc.freenode.net. You can join Pam Quinter today talk about the application they asked the place. Now, right now we have 10 people who camp there, and uh, I would say probably half of them are active working with the application as we speak. I'm running my critter drug application right now. It's a simulation I started with a new species, which is powered off the screen. It's an option I left on by accident in the last release. If they brighten the bottom of the screen and or darken the top, they'll get an energy reward for that. And uh, it's not large, but they can get enough to reproduce that way. It's to see the fire algorithm, they all, they all will probably have a motor to vote for the fire algorithm. It does the blur. It demonstrates cellular adjacency in all four directions on the cycle screen. So I wanted most species to do that. And uh, if they'll darken the top of that to help clear it at the top and then uh, add hot spots at the bottom, it'll look just like an old uh, PC graphics demo of, uh, of a fire algorithm. You get on Linux box, you type AA fire, but it'll be produced by a neural net running off physics and a cellular automaton. Certainly, there's a lot of that imagery in my early development of Noble Ape, and I think it's one of the beautiful things of artificial life simulation, particularly complex and layered artificial life simulation is that you do get all these, these wonderful vents through it. In terms of the crediting community, uh, is SourceForge still the, the place to basically connect with those people if, if one doesn't necessarily have access to IRC all the time? What, SourceForge? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a SourceForge forum for uh, crediting. There's a wiki page as well, and you can get uh, species there and uh, other things. There are two sample species on the Critter Drug page, too. If you just Google Critter Drug, you can find out where to download that version, which is only for Linux, but it does compile. I mean, no one's complained about it not building or anything. It's just the keys that are reported if you push F1 are wrong. And uh, there are some other errors. It shares the shares the home directory with CritterDank, so you have to rotate your species so you don't try to load uh, one from the other simulation other than that. So, so they're not intercompatible. You have to either be running crediting or critter drug. The the actual species files aren't compatible. That's correct. You just have to clear out your load directory in between switching applications. Or you can run both applications at the same time. You just have to make sure that you load the right animals into each one. It's not too hard. Certainly. Certainly. Through it yet and changed every incidence of crittering to critter drug and made it run out of the dot critter drug directory. I just haven't done that yet. It's uh, very much one of the most important things. In terms of the effect of slash dotting, you mentioned that is a critter drug specifically that's been slash dotted twice, or was critter ding and critter drug? Well, critter ding was mentioned, so we both saw a huge peak in downloads for the duration that was on the front page and the second page. And uh, I think that's a major mean vectoration for artificial life. Critterding was just packaged with Debian. I don't know if that was the case when Seth was on, if he mentioned that. I think it was coming up to that point, but, you know, that is, that is, a, that is a major milestone. I guess, certainly, I mean, my own experience with Slashdot has, has been similar to the, the reception that I saw associated with Critterdruck in terms of the, I don't know, the volume of the comments versus actually the quality of the downloads. But um, in terms of the feedback from the slash dotting, do you get any senses of directions that you want to take it purely based on the feedback of the slash dotting, or did that just confirm basically the direction that you've already taken it? We've had discussions on other forums, you know, where, like, large numbers of people might try the software at a time, and the usual complaints are, like, it's restarting every so many seconds during the search phase of the start, and the random animals are all starving at about the same time, this kind of thing. But once people get something that moves around, they seem pretty satisfied. I mean, it's an, the type of application that most people haven't tried before. I saw an ad on TV for a company that will speed up your PC. It had a guy saying... I've never done, my, my PC has never uh, done optimization like this before. And I was like, 
uh, it's not doing optimization. You've never done optimization on your PC. You probably use it for spreadsheets, like how wrong that claim was. You know, he wasn't using his PC for optimization whatsoever, unless he was running evolutionary algorithms. Testified, yes. No, I, I do agree. I do agree. So I, I think what interests me with what you're describing is really that you're moving the, the boundaries to continue greater limits in terms of your development of, of critter drug. But certainly when I had uh, Seth on, the discussion was associated with how not necessarily the artificial life community can pay catch-up. I mean, as you may have heard through previous both lives, there's this kind of continuum where you have very much kind of traditional, almost classical artificial life researchers that are still in the academic community uh, and are very much still connected with things like cellular automata. And progressively, you know, you have the academic community that reaches out to the hobbyist community, the slow emergence of things like open source, which seems laughable to people such as yourself and myself because open source is the only way to do artificial life. And then you have the stuff that you are doing currently, which I think probably is maybe even um, in, in conceptual form at least a decade ahead of a majority of the hobbyist community and potentially even a couple of decades ahead of the academic community. Have you thought about how you could do this integration? I know when we had Seth on, I reached out to Larry Yeager and he and Larry Yeager had some extended correspondence because basically crediting is... Uh, well, I mean, inspired by in some regard, but also very much a, a child or grandchild of Polyworld. And what fascinated me through that interaction was even Larry Yeager, who has a lot of exposure to the hobbyist community, had never really had any exposure to Critterding. I mean, as you continue to develop this, I think slashed on these kind of things are almost an echo chamber in terms of the kind of people that are involved. And what you seem to be describing is almost a need for a kind of plurality, I mean, with regards to just Linux, I mean, a plurality of development platforms and also, um, you know, perhaps uh, occasional uh, papers or um, maybe reaching out to particular academics. I know Larry Yeager was very sympathetic with, with the interaction with Seth. Do you have a sense of basically, I mean, you, you don't seem to have any any need or any notion to kind of mainstreamize is probably the wrong term, but basically reach out even to the kind of broader hobbyist or fringe academic community associated with your development. Do you think it's just a matter for people just to catch up with what you're doing currently, or do you occasionally reflect and think, well, maybe it's time to put this in a form which could be academically publishable or something like that? I would like to see these features appearing elsewhere. The, the technologies in Tierra and Vita were basically external uh, tasks these things could perform that were uh, orthogonal to their survival-related activities but provide an energy reward, and that's, that's all I've put in in terms of the, uh, the cellular automata-based fitness functions in the, in the psychic screen. I would like to see, yeah, mind-altering drugs appearing, not in, uh, in neuromorphic simulations for sure, and uh, other types of controllers could potentially be disrupted in various ways that might awaken them to fuller consciousness. Yeah, I'm certainly very sympathetic to this kind of stuff going into Noble Ape. I think the difficulty that I have with it is just... I mean, I maintain three platforms, now four, really, if you consider the, the Apple platforms uh, to be separate platforms. I'm not sure if you've heard the recent narrative or heard my talk at Stanford, 
but I've been working with a fellow in the UK called Bob Mottram, who has been porting in his own idea of societies and these kind of things into Noble Ape, which has just been amazing, um, you know, amazing import and, and very uh, beneficial. But I think the problem a lot of artificial life developers face, and really I'm speaking for myself and perhaps Gerald Jung and Jeffrey Ventrella and people that I talk to in the community, is that our, once you start this thing, it's very much about maintaining this thing as a, as a functioning application. And really it needs people such as yourself or other people perhaps in the crediting community. The ability, for example, to integrate some aspect of Noble Ape, even if it was the, the file interface, so the Noble Apes could then move into uh, crediting and potentially even Critter Drug, or the ability for you to take some of the insight that you've done in Critter Drug and apply it into something like Noble Ape or Polyworld or these kind of things. I mean, in terms of the cross-pollination potential, do you think about all this at all, or are you just really so focused on, on critter drug currently that you know you want to keep optimizing and maximizing that development? There are a way to do different types of uh, other simulations animals as a plug-in, something that could walk on land, maybe from the digital alchemy application or from fram sticks. And yeah, I would I would be interested in putting that in. You could even use the animals from uh, from noble ape in a robot body or something, but. I'm not. I'm not really concerned with it at the moment. No. In terms of the broader crediting community, I mean, when I talked to Seth, I raised this as potential and certainly connected him with Larry Yeager following. Just so there would actually be like a response to what I discussed. Uh, do you sense that there may be people who are maybe doing occasional contributions, or where there are people that may be interested in doing this kind of work in the in the crediting community? I'm hoping we get more developers and uh, some patches and extra features. It's going to be uh, a better application with uh, a little work put into it. It's really easy to hack on. I, I saw we were running Noble Ape Online with a web server that's been running it for a few weeks now. I think that's a really good way for people to be able to see a simulation like that. I did some runs where I published the 4chan screenshots and I took back images and text from the threads in which they appeared and mixed them in. For about 24 hours a piece, I did two of these using online data. And uh, I thought this was a really interesting experiment for the animals that I was running with. But uh, the poor things, I, I was focusing on the screen I'd added so much at the time. They weren't using the retina to any extent, and the physics were feeding into their behavior, but not in the way that was meaningful to them. And I wanted to turn the physics off and not be simulating the bodies, just really be working on the graphics at that point. But of, uh, I'm doing other types of work at this point. So when when we talked with Seth, it was very much about this phenomenon of using IRC channels and development and the kind of growing of community. Do you get a sense that from, for example, slash dotting, did you get additional developers that came into the community, or was it very much just a almost a kind of uh, end user download situation? Oh yeah, we always see more people on IRC after, I mean, it goes to Slashdot or a news site. I, I tried now and then, you know, publicize it a little, just so we can get some users if there's anyone who's interested in it. It's not really hard. I started, the pieces I'm working on now was after it was Slashdot the second time. I thought I should start with the default settings and just see if it was hard to get a species that would do anything interesting. It wasn't really difficult. What they're doing now creates some really excellent displays on the on the screen there. It's 1024 frames. You can fast forward it or stripe it. And it's, uh, it's low resolution, but it's zoomed. And it's high color, so it's fun to observe. But I mean, I only added the, uh, I only added the different effects for different colors in the morphic field, which only occupies the top of this screen. 
the uh, the other day. Um, it makes it a lot more interesting as far as I'm concerned. I'll probably snapshot the code again soon and put up a put up an eighth version. And in terms of the in terms of the community, I mean it sounds like it's an international community. I think probably the first Biota podcast you appeared on, we talked quite a bit about this notion of conferences and locations and finding art spaces and all this kind of stuff. I mean I think the what you're describing here in terms of a virtual community is providing a, a great degree of nurturing with the code. But have you reached out to local artists or done anything like that in terms of like creating a, a local space that you can feed off as well? Oh no, nothing like that. I mean, I'd like uh, I'd like some artistic properties and in-world objects. I was thinking this morning these creatures should be evolving on a hill in oblivion, and then they could be in long grass and there could be uh, other objects around. But it wouldn't be hard to put in plants. I have an idea for particle metabolism that's based on plants recombining soil particles into uh, combinations that have energy rewards or otherwise go on a stack that might uh, mean something to the animal metabolism, and then I could do away with food entirely and uh, just have these things growing with seeds. But I haven't got that far. It would be uh, basically... The addition of a well, a plant, a plant ecosystem. It's a major overhaul. Uh, I don't know. It would be something. Maybe it would be more important to try to put onto Critter Dink first. Bolt onto the S the SVN for Critter Dink, and then uh, try to put it in mine. If I was going to go that far. Yeah, it's interesting because I think certainly the the needs that seem to be described externally could almost be embodied by you know, academics that were doing things in this area, potentially some kind of fringe computer science, maybe philosophy group or something like that. I think really the way in which this is packaged is very important because certainly the stuff that you're doing and the progress that you're making is really off off your own back currently. And I think what interests me in terms of even the... I mean, certainly talking to Seth, there doesn't seem to be that many additions in terms of development folk associated with Kitterding uh, and obviously with your work with Critter Drug since we last spoke. I mean, the spikes that you get associated with Slashdotting may draw initial interest, but what you seem to be describing is firstly a need for um, almost regular like testing practices in terms of like catching uh, issues and making sure that they're squashed, but also the expansion of platforms. Um, which is an interesting property in open source in and of itself because you're right, you do need uh, developers with specific skill sets. In terms of the uh, downloads of Critter Drug, do you track a community at all? Do you maintain a mailing list or do you have a way of, of interfacing with the folks that are actually using the program currently? No, people who are interested in Critter Drug are a small subset of Critterding users. They can just come to the Critterding IRC. Some of them email me directly with questions. Um, I think through the 20 teens, we'll get a lot of new users. I think uh, people, students, will find uh, this uh, this research more interesting than their own. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I think what interests me here is that having basic, I mean, even things like mailing lists enable you at least to track uh, maybe an advanced user base or at least people that you could then say, oh, you know, there's this person at this location, they're doing such and such. I mean, email addresses, uh, aside from Google email, but, I mean, names and these kind of things, there, there are ways that you can actually track what the people that are using your software are doing as well. Uh, and I think that becomes a very kind of interesting meta problem for artificial life developers to actually say, oh, this is interesting. You know, these people at these companies are actually using this software. And I think what interests me in terms of your descriptions of even the 
implementation of psychotropics and the implementation of morphic resonance is the decrediting is almost becoming exactly what I wanted Noble 8 to be in terms of an ability to actually test a lot of these abstract uh, ideas coming, you know, occasionally from the humanities, occasionally from, um, you know, the fringes of science and actually create simulatable, testable environments for these particular ideas. And I think the way that that is packaged and described would have a, you know, a reasonable academic user base. The real trick is to provide it in a form that they can use it in in terms of platforms and also then create an approach which, you know, which would make it more... uh, I guess, more palatable. I mean, certainly by your appearances on both podcasts, at least, you come to the attention of a few of these folk. And I think, um, I mean, that's certainly why I encourage you to, uh, to participate as, as much as you, you know, as much as you can into the future, because I think the stuff that interests me with what you're doing is that it very much represents, well, your own energy, your own passion and your own ideas embodied in software. For folks listening in who want to contact you, who want to get involved, in terms of their integration, do you have tasks that you're thinking about pe- integrating people for? Or what's, the, what's your kind of top five list of to do things that you can't do currently, but maybe someone else could? I, I would like someone to diff the thing against revision four, five, six and try to apply all the changes as patches to the current version of Critter Day. See if they can create a, a new version of Critter Drug that way. That's my biggest job. I don't know. It's looking good, you know. I wanted to say my morphic resonance implementation is sufficient for the emergence of the hundredth monkey effect. That would be inevitable, and that's attributed to morphic resonance on Earth. I think you're going to have multiple simulations in there. You'd have to. I've run two simulations where they each had their own individual psychic movie, and then I would show them screenshots of both worlds with the contents of both movies displayed, and they would uh, have to deal with the color preferences and types of shapes that are being made only in a zoomed out form by the other species and they can have this low res communication with aliens is the human use of the alien in this circumstance or are aliens separate entities well this would just be creatures like them that evolved separately on another world like theirs I mean every uh, ingression by the user is uh, like contact with an alien I was listening to Tim Taylor talk about closed systems and I was worried because I'm not showing these this species any graphics right now there's no input from uh, outside their world but I do go in and touch it every day or other day so that uh, I think prevents it from being truly closed as long as I'm tampering at different ways and uh, trying different settings right now uh, for a smaller uh, fiddly settings uh, for minor uh, effects and uh, seeing if I get better better art out of it because uh, it was more of a mess before. Talking about the Tim Taylor discussion because I mean the conclusion of that discussion where Tim was talking about the ideas of actually making artificial life simulations into web pages through HTML5. I mean, that is a relatively abstract idea. I think what has beset traditional artificial life simulators, if there is such a thing, is that basically the software gets very much maintained in the paradigms in which it was initially developed. I mean, certainly Noble Ape is written in C, for example. Um, and this has caused various problems, although I have written a Java version, it's relatively easy to get it in a in web interactive form. But do you think that there may be some benefit in porting aspects of what you're doing into something that would be almost analogous to what Tim Taylor was describing, so the individual simulatable entities or potentially their simulation environments could exist in some kind of web form? Uh, Yeah, you can have a web page where people can interact with these things directly or indirectly, and uh, 
I mean, this is what I was doing with 4chan, the script I wrote that would put up these screenshots on an automated regime. Yeah, I think the paradigm that Tim Taylor was talking about was slightly different, though, because rather than just being a pain into the simulation, the web page itself becomes the simulation entity. The author of Critterding has shown the images before, and something he's trying again now, because of what I'm doing, he's stress tested them with OCR to make sure they can do that, and they can, and... Uh, so I, I, I can use the I can use this uh, PNM viewer I implemented to show them uh, 64 by 48 images on that screen on a regular basis and uh, try to give them different uh, concepts of things by that. Right now the species I have is 3,000 inputs, about 1,200 of them are on the psychic canvas. I figured this makes a 117th resolution view of the 64 by 48 screen, which is something like 12 by 9 or 15 by 11. So it's a little icon they see, and it's not enough to show them glyphs, like language necessarily, but I can start showing them different kinds of shapes if I were to start showing them images. But I don't want to disrupt the screen they've made. I see it as like a little uh, neural e- ecology. When I start flashing screenshots, standing them over what's on the screen, it's, uh, it's disrupted. But uh, there's a lot of different ways you can go from there. Obviously, you can have people submitting these things and like uh, seeing what, what the animals are seeing and... Uh, on the other hand, you can uh, have them browsing the web. I wanted to give them Nmap and Netcat, and they could go out to ports they found open and read in the uh, read in the banner data, strings of strings of bytes they would read sequentially, on like eight inputs, and then they could uh, evolve into strains that depended on different services that were online, and uh, they could deal then with evolutionarily with the uh, services going up and going down, and uh, internet connections going on and off, and this kind of thing. There's not a real point to that. I mean, what I'd really like to see is for them to be uh, writing a natural language about their state on a web page. Yes, this is this is the narrative engine stuff as well. You can see me pointing in that direction. I'm, I'm not, obviously, these things aren't that intelligent yet, but I think electronic neurons might be more ideal than biological ones. So I, I might be able to get the intelligence of a 10,000 neuron system out of a 1,000 neuron. 1,000 electronic neuron system in a simulation. I haven't proven that, but it's something I suspect. So by the time I'm up to 10 or 50,000 neurons, I, I expect to be able to coax them into some like real phenomena. Can we talk about that expansion a little? Because I mean, certainly what you seem to be describing, both with regards to the icon entities and these kind of things interacting in their neurochemistry is that there is a real need to expand the neuron space considerably in order to actually uh, allow these creatures to evolve to the to the levels that you want them to. How scalable is the um, the neural networks in the version of Critterding that you're working from, and do you think the new stuff that's coming out on the tip of Critterding will enable the kind of scalability that you need going into the future? Oh, it's just a little slow... I think the new brains in Critterding are faster. Uh, if I was going to go to 10% of a million neurons, I could probably only have a maximum population of 5 to 10. Uh, then I'd be simulating, uh, oh, half a million neurons to a million neurons. And I could do that with a 2 gigahertz machine I'm using here, a workstation. I could do that, but uh, it wouldn't be really fast. It wouldn't be much slower than what I'm doing right now. I'm getting something like 10 frames per second with a population of 40, so I'll have 1,300 neurons. You can see it's not really fast, but I've looked at the code for the neurons uh, for uh, firing and uh, potential, not potential propagation, but uh, setting and receiving synapse weight. And it's really tight, and I can't see a way to speed it up. I've thought of ways and gone in and found out I was wrong. It was already, it wasn't a multiply, it was a, a subtract and uh, this kind of thing. 
I don't even know if multiplies are as slow as they used to be. They're not. They're not. But I mean, what you seem to be describing, even in, I guess you call ranged values or surrounding value problems, there are various optimizations through things like SSE and these kind of things that will potentially add significant optimizations. I mean, certainly the node late brand simulation has been um, optimized very heavily by guys at Intel for this kind of stuff. This again goes back to the kind of reach out problem that when you do have these kind of issues, there is somewhere in the open source community, probably an ideal developer, maybe even teams of ideal developers, uh, to look at these very specific issues. In part, it's almost the responsibility of the open source developer to put these ideas out there uh, in a format where people who are, I guess, Google, finding some way of getting to the information, find, oh yes, this project needs particular things, but also it's to do with how the project is, is actually packaged. In terms of active developers of Critter currently, I mean, you're obviously the primary developer, but do you know of other people that have downloaded the source code and are actively tinkering with it currently? One or two. I'd like to see the whole thing ported to C. I have my suspicions about C++. I get benefits from certain build flags, but I think maybe if the whole thing was moved to C, it could be twice as fast. I'm not really sure about that. The graphics are in no way the bottleneck, although we draw a field of vision for every critter. It seems to be the brains that are slowing it down. It might be the number of inputs and outputs. Those have to be condensed again, and I have a plan for that. I might, uh, might pull it off soon. I just have to rewire the species I'm working with afterwards. It's not a major, not a major thing. I might see a major speed up when I decrease the available number of inputs and outputs. I'm hoping so. It isn't fast enough. It's not fast enough. That's the biggest problem with it at this point, is that uh, with the much richer environment, I mean, they're capable of uh, and it's interesting because before they had physics, they had di distinct, discrete movement motors for left and right, and up and forward and back. And that's what they have now on the psychic screen, is they can vote for up, down, left or right, or fast forward or rewind, and uh, two other ones that are time, time dependent and uh, or pause. They get that back, but it's to, uh, as a population, drive the tape on a... Uh, it's not a true cellular automata or a state machine. I mean, it does propagate intensities according to different rules. It's what they're voting for. They either wind the tape or they perform mass operations on it. And then they're also reading and writing it with their brains. So I'm not sure what it represents when you look at it. It's some kind of a neural interconnect. I don't know if it is a, a morphic field. What I'm getting now looks like uh, looks like stormy skies or uh, sunny, cloudy skies, like uh, cloud patterns, a convolutional and... Uh, shaded. It's really interesting. In terms of, for example, YouTube as a means of actually getting this information out, have you thought any more about potentially creating a YouTube channel where you constantly stream the, the stuff that you're currently generating? I try to put up movies as I make them. I haven't done it as, as much as I'd like to lately. My internet connection is too slow right now, too, I think. But if you go to Tumalf, uh, T-O-O-M-A-L-F, that's just Flamute backwards, my internet handle, and... Uh, on the, on the Tumalf channel on YouTube, you can find all the Critter Drug movies I've uploaded so far. There's maybe 15, and uh, those are pretty good. They're from various stages of this development. Watched Most has a video from Critter Drug you can find. If you Google Critter Drug Watched Most, you'll find it one word. So you are really embracing the same stuff that uh, Seth and others have put out in terms of putting it out to YouTube and... Uh, and allowing the YouTube community really to discover this and then, then reintegrate with the project, which I thought was a, a phenomenon. Certainly just the ability to see the combinations of kind of code editing, reflection, and how 
artificial life development really is in terms of framing it in this context. I've, I've always really enjoyed it. For sure. We, we uh, hope that people who are looking at drier material can stumble on this, you know, because uh, the work we're doing is exciting because it's real science. It's on a frontier, but it's also fun like a game or a toy, although the interface needs improvement once you're... Uh, you're into that work it's really easy to continue with it i think it's like tuning a radio into mathematical space and you're seeking spaces which are populated in terms of the broader crediting community do you think that there is a need for a kind of super project which is like contains crediting but can then create interfaces into other simulations or the potential to do further branching do you think crediting is really reaching a point where almost it needs a kind of meta better organization that handles the um, interface interaction or do you think it's still being managed in a form where developments like the ones that you are doing currently can be integrated into the future? I wish right now we could push out improvements to the interface or to the world to all the ports. I don't know how we would do that. Someone is putting patches back into the trunk now, I mean recently, and uh, that's good to see. It's something I have to start doing. Some of my features that I could share with Critter Ding, like uh, blinking or the changes to uh, to eating and uh, some others I can I can put in if, uh, if they'll take those back. There are a lot of good good ideas, future directions I want to go in that I don't know if I would see in Critterdang. I would like to give them the ability to manufacture artifacts, like to actually build bodies using a series of outputs and wire brains, and then uh, it's not too far from the direction Seth is going, where you have this meta meta level of cognition that's encouraged to develop but uh, then they could wire different uh, machines into different things there basically be no reason for that I mean I can't I can't see one the most exciting thing I thought of was to have plants that they could uproot and then plant and if they were happen to generate drugs some of these plants that they wanted to uh, cultivate and you would have cultigens emerging endogenously in the simulation they would actually uh, they would actually put these plants into piles near their fields and um I would like to, I really like to see the plant system I described, you know, but it's something I might do, I don't know, next year, like I haven't, I haven't really worked it out. Especially what system to use to build the plants. We want something in there that encourages symmetry, some kind of a fractal tree system for plants. We haven't chosen one or anything. It's a conversation I should take up with uh, Bob Key himself and uh, anyone else who's around. And speaking of conversation, I mean, as you observe what has been described by some as the artificial life winter that seems to be going on currently, what's your view of your observations of the artificial life community, and do you have any any sense of uh, of things that you'd like to see and what, what may potentially happen in the future? Well, I've always been really happy dealing with the A-Life community. I mean, uh, Larry Yeager, the originator of Polyworld, is on there, and I've had some good conversations with him about how it works, and... Uh, I don't know. I think uh, enthusiasm over my project has been, uh, been limited by skepticism, and, and rightly, because uh, um, I haven't proven that it does what it claims to do. And it'll take thousands of generations for every species that uh, selectively and intelligently self-intoxicates. And uh, when that happens, I'll have the potential to see these substances being used uh, for utility, at least, like uh, for hunting or in rituals. And uh, that's something I can sort of wave around. No one's seen that before, but uh, it, it, obviously it'll take a while to see that emerge, and uh, no one has done it before, and we don't really know the best way the best way to uh, get these things out there to, to self-awareness and uh, really embedded behaviors, you know? Certainly. It seem important to them what they're doing. They have primitive psychologies. You can pick up one of these creatures, 
and uh, give it a shake, put it down on its back, you know, and see it never recover, like uh, even if flipped back over. Its mind is permanently blown. And this was the risk with adding drugs. I didn't, I thought they would have to evolve more resilient or mutable psychologies. That's, that's, that's what's happening. When I run a simulation like that, I keep the mutation rate out of 50% at least or higher. So that uh, all the brain surgery and all the body designs are highly mutable and they can handle minor mutations and uh, never having a child which is a clone, if possible, like happens on Earth. Do you think that's just an effect of the number of neurons? I mean, certainly what you seem to be describing is that they just don't have the neural capacity to actually do that kind of comprehension. So as soon as the number of neurons expand, that they'll probably be slightly more resilient or at least slightly more initially malleable to these kind of experiences. Yeah, I'll bias neuron and synapse additions so they're not responding just to the cost of that. And uh, so they try to find adaptive solutions in that direction more often. I mean, uh, I, want them to, I want them to find the adaptive solutions in the direction of neuron growth and, and richer interconnectivity as often as possible. So uh, to look in the direction of adding adding cells more often and uh, because we've associated that with the appearance of intelligence on earth which interconnectivity and increasing brain size so I've, I've tried different ways to, to bring that out but uh, I mean the species I was working with before this went from 400 neurons down to 100 or less without seeming to their behavior didn't really seem to get any worse. I mean, they can still forage just fine. I think that's part of the problem is that what you're describing here is very simple behavioral aspects, and what you need is actually plenty of neurons spare for the conditions where you're picked up, shaken, and put on your back. So, I mean, I think reducing the number of neurons and seeing similar behavior is just because the simple behavior that you're observing is still relatively primitive. And perhaps there's a kind of resolution of interface or something which you're missing in, in terms of the way that you can just observe them visually or through other uh, methods. But basically to have additional neurons doesn't help you 99% of the time, but will possibly help you if you're shaken and turned on your back by a mysterious external force. So, I mean, maybe, maybe that's some of the bias that, uh, you know, that you should consider. It's like I thought of uh, black and white the other day when I went into Tampa with one of these animals or a piece of their food. I thought how you could see the pink bubbles appear above all the villagers' heads when you perform some act near them. You can see uh, faith points being added by the witnesses. And I thought, well, this is going to show them there is some other force and, you know, what they've been observing and dealing with evolutionarily. Like, I should see the, I should see the bubbles from black and white go up around this guy. But because uh, they respond fairly sensitively to, to one another. But, uh, yeah, they can have their minds blown. I mean, the ones I'm with, the phototropes I'm working with now, you can shake for a long time. And I think they've just resumed their foraging when you put them down, especially with so few neurons. I think there's less to permanently disrupt but I believe you can still kill them by giving them enough of the inhibitory agonist, the opium, for some reason. It's totally uh, irrational. It might have to do with overflows or other math errors. It might be the flags I'm using, but if I give them enough of it, they'll go into this matchstick configuration where they won't move or hunt, and uh, and they'll wait that way until they starve, even on no drugs or other combinations of drugs. It doesn't seem to be a way to perturb them out of this. I've never seen it with any other species in critter drug, but these ones can go into a coma if given enough of a certain drug. That's fascinating. That's absolutely fascinating. No, it's bizarre. And these are be all this emerges out of very small numbers of neurons in most cases. That's why I started my current species with more than a thousand. I'm just doing large numbers of brain mutations and many uh, mutated generations and I'm hoping they go in the direction of uh, a cooperation, sort of game theory implementations, you know, leading towards intelligence and implementation of that and then uh, they can use the screen for culture if they want. Right now I'm hoping they start to hunt and respond to the eye. It's the most important thing for them. 
pretty good. I just don't know how long it will take. Like, I'll give these another week. I don't know. It takes a long time. I need more machines. It would be good to be. It would be good to be doing this with a distributed approach or online. I haven't. I haven't worked that out. Yeah, again, that's an architecture issue. I mean, that really just requires substantial refactoring of the code and just moving it into a, a form that will allow that kind of development. As you listen to uh, both podcasts, I know there haven't been as many as as, as in previous years, um, in large part due to my own writing and various other uh, constraints. What is exciting you externally in the artificial life community currently, or even outside the artificial life community, that you think the artificial life community could embody? Well, I'm so excited about the Evo Grid. You know, if we see synthetic life or alien life from molecular simulations in the next few years, that would be something that I think all of us have been uh, hoping for and uh, probably have glimpsed with our simulations is the uh, the the inkling of some. Uh, alien intelligence you know you're seeing uh you're seeing things coping with uh environments that are totally alien involved there and with molecular simulations then we have uh we have a chance to see some really compelling organisms appear early on but well not early on i think that's the most exciting work being done right now i'd like to see more distributed and online work like uh darwin at home and the noble web server they have uh, one or two artificial life projects on boink that are, I think are interesting. Have you seen Gerald's new Tetragotchi universe that seems to be getting a lot of traffic currently? Yeah, I just added a creature to that. I think it's good. I mean, uh, he refers to play-by-email games, or someone did on the list, and uh, there's a theme of, like, the BBS door game you would log into once a day to perform a series of actions. And that's what Gerald is, uh, is organized. It's something you just have to remember to log into but can't spend a lot of time on, and that's fun, too because it becomes a longer-term thing. And uh, in this way, he has human input for uh, as, as controllers for these animals, you know, and they can, they can compete in an ecosystem. It's really interesting how it works. I would encourage people to Google Darwin at home and add a creature to that. It's uh, a really interesting project, what he's done with these ten- tensegrity structures. Um, it's come a long way from its origins. Do you have anything else you, you'd like to talk about on, on Biot Live today, or have we, have we covered all the main bases that you wanted to touch on? No, I guess that's it, man. I'm really happy I got to say so much about my application. Like, uh, it's, it was enthusiastic. It's a project of, uh, product of pure enthusiasm for me. And uh, in the middle of the month, the middle of the year, I had a hiatus from working on it, but uh, there was a flurry of development at the start and the end of the year. And the beta I have online now is the, is the best one, really. You can, uh, I would recommend anyone who downloads it and tries the default settings to turn up the neuron counts and tap the mutation settings and take heed of all the caveats printed on the web page where you find it because uh, the help screen is wrong. But, uh, yeah, it's not finished. I would almost say it's not ready for use yet, but I still... Uh, I really want to hear about different people's results, while I'm trying to get it into as many hands as possible at the same time. You know, very good. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I think you uh, you're representing some very interesting angles currently in artificial life development, and I think the potential to reach out in a variety of different directions is is very much embodied with your approach. So, I mean, hats off to you for all that you're doing. Um, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity of potentially one day reaching Canada uh, and actually meeting you on location too, uh, because, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting a sense of where everything's headed with you. Yeah, for sure. I want to go to some conventions and stuff next year, so I'll, well, maybe we will meet one day, Tom. So the one in Salt Lake City may be the 
maybe the one to attend. I mean, if you can get to Salt Lake City, the it's happening, I think, July next year. But we hope to have quite a large artificial life contingent. I'll be giving a, a paper there, but there will be other folk who are coming in. I mean, my hope is Gerald de Jong and others from the kind of international community uh, will be able to make that conference. And also, I think the thing that interests me with the stuff that you're doing is that it's the philosophy of biology. There will be various uh, neurochemistry people there, very basic biology. I'm not sure even how one says these things in politically correct terms anymore. Uh, But no, I think there'll be a number of really quite interesting people and also people that are very receptive to your work. So, I mean, even if you couldn't attend, if we can can get this embodied in some way on... uh, some disc or video or something like that. I mean, I know that there are people in the biota community that are relatively near to you geographically. I also understand Gerald de Jong has family in your part of the world too. So maybe he will come via your part of the world to Salt Lake City. And even if you can't be there in person, at least maybe you could be there in, in spirit and, and video form describing some of the stuff because it would be wonderful to get your ideas out. I'd like to telecommute to conferences. Absolutely. Like, we'll have to see what I can do I, uh, I, I want to move those ideas these ideas out there uh, this decade it's sort of subversive because uh, all of the uh, all of it leads towards uh, human level intelligence that uh, replaces people at their jobs and it's uh, it doesn't have a lot of momentum in, in the corporate world or even in academia that's why I think there are a lot of amateurs and hobbyists that are pushing in these directions right now very much so very much so well, Eric, it's been a pleasure as always. We'll need to do this again in the, the near future as you make more progress. Always fun, Eric. Okay, thanks so much, Tom. See you.